What is up, Tom? I'm excited to be here. Incredibly happy to be here with you because this guy right here, we go back. We both started our crypto journeys at very similar points in time. We were both nobodies in 2018. We hassled our asses off and built both built really unique companies. And it's just been so amazing seeing your growth and seeing all you've accomplished. And today's going to be fun because today we're going to talk about a lot of stuff because I think you spend way too much time interviewing people. <laughs> and there's almost nothing out there interviewing you. You're right, man. It's funny. We both started as like peasants and now I'm sitting in like this Hartman Cap insane <laughs> studio after all this growth and it's exciting. Yeah. Well, uh, so today I kind of want to do first really get your background out there because like, like you said before, I checked YouTube, there's very little of the story of Tom Shaughnessy, right? So I want to cover the background of Tom Shaughnessy, the co-founder of Delphi Digital, which has become a behemoth of itself. Um, then I would like to dive a little bit into kind of like, you know, you've done something really unique where you built an empire with friends, which their history is littered with like examples where that didn't work <laughs> out. <laughs> and you guys also stayed focused and like just scaled incredibly. So, you know, we're not just going to talk crypto. I also kind of like, I want to know you kind of like as a, as a business owner and like, you know, how you're able to like motivate so many people to join your, uh, your, your firm, um, and, you know, build out all these different arms of it. Um, and then of course, you know, later I'll talk about, you know, how do you identify the killer project, the killer founders, you know, what does it take for a founder to make it? Because after looking at hundreds of deals, thousands of deals, I think there's certain patterns that you've come across and there's some more awesome stuff towards the end. We'll go into crypto theses though. The crypto thesis I always find, you know, they, they age over time. I think there's so much more like timeless value that you can share with us. Agreed. So let's dive in. Where did it all start? Where did young Shaughnessy find his beginnings? <laughs> I'm excited, man. Um, Man, how do I sum this up a bit? So, started at uh, studied finance at Rutgers. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, started a business while in college covering microcap stocks. Mm-hmm. So, you know, sub twenty five mil. Yep. Let's research this. Meet the team. You know, flew around the country, going to conferences. Fell in love with investing. Uh, lost my money doing that, which was <laughs> insignificant. I, I was gonna say sub twenty five million stocks. That that's pink sheets, right? Oh yeah. Oh yeah. yeah. The sketchy stuff. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So. You know, did that for a while. So nothing changed. No, (laughs) still here doing it. (laughs) But um, so did that for a while and then eventually landed a job at Oppenheimer doing equity research. So that was a hodgepodge of coverage from the wireless carriers, the fiber plays, the data centers, you know, Microsoft Azure, AWS, Mm -hmm. a whole hodgepodge of kind of internet infrastructure. Um, You know, went through the process of getting all the certifications, you know, the 86, 7, 63, started the CFA. And then two years down the line, I uh, found Ethereum. Mm-hmm. And me and my buddy Tanner, who's- Which year was that? That was 2017 17. Yeah, so me and my buddy Tanner, who's now a consensus, um, just we were jamming on it while everybody else was doing their equity research jobs. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> it looked pretty bad at the time. But you know, found Ethereum and thought, you know, hey, this is super competitive with AWS, because mm-hmm. AWS was my world back then. And uh, boy, was I wrong, because most of Ethereum is run on AWS, yeah. as we know today. So. <laughs> got to change that. We're going to... Yep, we got to change the backstory a bit. But uh, yeah, so I uh, told my boss, I was like, look, I can't cover this here. Uh, mm-hmm. I gave him a month's notice. Uh, we maintained a very close friendship. Mm-hmm. He wouldn't let me leave without having Oppenheimer as a client, which I always love and respect him for. Awesome. Because it helped a lot. Um, but I uh, quit my job th- at the end of that month. And mm-hmm. the next day, I started 51%. This was... 18 now or still not 17? The summer of 18. Summer of 18 now. Okay. Yeah. Started uh, basically researching and pumping out retail reports for 25 bucks a month, 50 bucks a month. Yeah. Started a podcast. Um, 
banged on Anthony Pompliano's door <laughs> until he would, uh, who's also in Miami, great guy. Yeah. Um, banged on his door until he would take a meeting with me. Uh, took a ferry to New York, uh, brought Anthony on. He helped a ton with distribution and strategy. Yeah. Uh, That's when he started really popping off too, because like Pomp was, I think, pretty quiet in eighteen, and then like nineteen twenty, all up. of a sudden, blew up. Yeah, he, he really had stardom at that point, and uh, basically we were jamming, and Pomp uh, found the Delphi guys, mm -hmm. and they were doing the exact same thing. Yeah. So my partners Jan and Neil, Kevin, and MJ started a similar business at the same exact time. We had no idea. It's mm -hmm. like being next door neighbors with somebody, basically, yep. and uh, we took a meeting. Um, around Valentine's Day, a week before, so hit it off, and we merged on Valentine's Day. Oh, and uh, that's romantic. Exactly, it was romantic. It worked. And so, so the yeah. real question is, when Valentine's Day came around, who gets celebrated? <laughs> is it the girlfriend or is it the team? <laughs> the team gets the text first. All right. <laughs> Hopefully, she doesn't listen to this. <laughs> Sweet. Okay, so that's so now this is February. Oh yeah, this is this is Valentine's Day, 2019. Then. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, is it tw yeah, 2019. Damn, I wonder if I, if I, I might predate you in terms of being a Delphi member then. Yeah, because I've been, I've been a Delphi subscriber for like a long time, but I also was a 51% research reader. I think you so. are. Yeah, yeah. So. I think I had you twice. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. So, okay. So, so that's, that's the launch of Delphi Digital as a research. And I think providing a little bit of context, how, how did you perceive the crypto market in those years? Yeah, it was tough. I mean... When we were starting to provide research, I mean, people talk about DeFi, NFTs, DAOs today. Mm -hmm. All there was on the DeFi side was MakerDAO. Right. Like we were, you know, the interest rate calls on what the, uh, you know, stability fear, whatever it yep. was called was, that was like your DeFi moment every week. Mm -hmm. Everyone tuned in, but we didn't have 99% of what we have in DeFi today. We didn't yep. have anything. So it was more so a lot of ETH coverage, a lot of Bitcoin coverage, mm -hmm. you know, ETH scaling, Bitcoin scaling, but we didn't really have much. I mean, that was a brutal time too. That yep. bear market was out of control hard. I'm trying to remember. I think one of the first reports I read by you, it, it, it talked about the the different ecosystems. At the time, Tezos was something you were really big on. TBT. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Um, and I think it was something about ever token evolution, something like that, where you are- oh, Crypto evolution, yeah, yeah. Yep, evolution, right? Where you look at like, you know, how many develop developers are in an ecosystem, right? Like how many commits are they making to GitHub, right? I remember like back in 2018, 19, those were the kind of things we we're tracking, commits and like, you know, how many users are, and funny enough back then EOS and uh, Toronto <laughs> would like fake how many walls, there was like a depth radar report and they had like millions of users. And then Such like, a joke. And I think one time like Justin Sun said like, oh, we now have, at uh, 10 billion users. Oh, man. And I'm like, sir, there's only 7 billion <laughs> yeah, humans. Yeah. <laughs> he, but, he worked on a lot of people. Yeah, but I, I digress. So so this, is, uh, this, is, this was you in February 2019. You guys start putting out research. Where did that take you to next? And you were allocating personally at the time. Or how, like, you know, what was your exposure? Did you ape all in or? Yeah, it's a good question. Uh, when I quit my job, I sold every stock I had. Okay. Uh, full crypto. I think Bitcoin went from like 20K to 3K. So fantastic call by yeah. me, obviously losing uh, money again there. Um, but yeah, we started providing coverage in a more institutional manner. Yep. So where I was providing retail type coverage, Delphi guys were providing more institutional coverage, mm -hmm. making a fantastic name for themselves yeah. on Bitcoin, Ethereum coverage, things like that. We came together and really institutionalized the concept. Mm -hmm. So um, basically, we started doing a lot of consulting services to pay the bills. Yep. It was a tough bear market. So yep. we were doing token econ work for projects um, while concurrently doing research as well mm -hmm. for the space. Uh, we rolled out an institutional tier 
And, you know, from that point of five people, uh, add pomp on, so say six, to today, we went from, you know, five to 105. Wow. So between research, labs, and ventures, we're up to 105. And, you know, I always make it a point to make sure people know that, you know, you started off the conversation that, you know, we built this as friends, and you're completely mm -hmm. right. And everybody has played such a key role in doing that, right? Mm -hmm. Like my partner, Neil, is an unmatched COO. He tells the mm -hmm. Delphi story. He's able to hire, share the vision, get people involved, herd the cats. It's incredible, right, for mm -hmm. the research biz. My partner, MJ, just has an insane level of detail and understanding of these plays. Mm -hmm. I mean, just put him in a room, you know, let him turn off his phone and just let him go. It's wild yeah. what he can create. Uh, my partner, Kevin, on the research side, his macro knowledge is just insane to help direct Delphi, and his ability to manage on the research side is just incredible. Mm -hmm. And lastly, Jan is, uh, you know, someone special, right? His ability to understand the economics of projects on a deep econ level is just unmatched, like economic attack vectors, all that stuff. So within that core team, allowing everybody to, like, thrive where they want mm -hmm. that's really what's built delphi it's not been one person never mm -hmm. has been so you just highlighted all their strengths what was what is your strength it's <laughs> a good question um i i mean i spend a lot of my time on the media side right mm -hmm. sharing our vision helping our founders share their story mm -hmm. really digging in to help them on what's important to them and then i spend the other half of my time on our ventures division mm -hmm. so my forte is you know seed pre-seed style investing mm -hmm. so spending a lot of time to understand early stage startups projects. I'm not really interested in liquid stuff. It's just not fun or exciting to me from a returns basis or a story mm -hmm. basis. So that's where I prefer to spend my time. And uh, we've written over 100 checks uh, within Delphi wow. to date. Uh, we run all of our own capital. Mm -hmm. um, and I believe we're one of the top performing funds in the space. Hell yeah. You you mentioned that both you and Anil are really good at sharing the vision. So maybe you can share what, what is the vision of Delphi, especially like when you when you take a longer time horizon? It's talent and alpha, I'd say. So the first part is getting the smartest people in the space mm -hmm. to work at Delphi. Mm -hmm. And um, that isn't just an analyst or a mm -hmm. venture associate, right? That could be a killer ops person who redoes the entire back end of your fund, right? Mm -hmm. And that's somebody uh, at Delphi called Drew and Anj, right? Mm -hmm. Incredible guys doing that. Or it could be a media coordinator like that. But the point is, it's attracting all of the best talent to one place mm -hmm. to work. And the vision is alpha. So being able to really dive deep into research plays, but also the ability to act on that and distill it and share it in a way people understand. As you and I both know, nobody likes reading white papers. Mm -hmm. Nobody wants to look at like Excel models all day. Yeah. People want to know that what they read or what they hear is backed by a lot of knowledge, but it also should be fun and exciting and understandable. Right. Yeah. And, and, and be alpha directed because you know, the, the thing that can be really wasteful in financial industries, like research for the sake of research, right? Like that's where you become an academic, right? Exactly. And this is something, you know, I try to distill down with my analysts too. Like if you make a presentation on the investment committee, like let's say you research something, you don't like it, say that in, in 60 to 120 seconds, right? But like the vast majority of our time should be focused on things that excite us that are actually investable, that have an edge. Uh, because otherwise, let's say, you know, if I open up Delphi Digital uh, or any other research for that matter, like. I come at it hoping to learn something that will give me an edge. Agreed. RICs, just like yours, are brutal, right? Mm -hmm. They are, you know, let's destroy this idea mm -hmm. in the nicest way possible. But the funny part is the more time somebody spends researching a play, the shorter the pitch. 
Yep. Because people to understand a granular level, right? It's not just, you know, uh, here's the adoption, here's the metrics. Mm -hmm. It's like, that's boring. Who, who wants to buy right. into that? Nobody, right? But if they come in with, this is the best play I've ever seen. This founder has blown me away because mm -hmm. of this and this and this, and this market is about to take off because of this. And if people start to well, dig in, you get the real answers, and that's why you want to get excited about right. it. Right. Yeah, that, that was a huge shift I did in my ICO. I said, like, it used to be these long presentations and then conclusion thesis. I'm like, <laughs> let's take the thesis and move it to the top. Yep, we have it right at the top, too. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And then yep. I'm like, if I do q and I'm like, well, but what about the traction? Then go down and Agreed. show me the traction, right? So yeah. that's awesome. Um, let's let's bring it back. We were some because like they're, they're the the biggest uh, part of the story. I think you know. Well, it, it's funny. You know, the 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 building phase is I think what we have nostalgia to when we're like you know it's just you I six in a room. We miss it. But like if yeah. you were, if you want to watch it like as a movie, which I I promise I one day. There will be like the Delphi Boys, like like social <laughs> the social network style movie. You know how you guys build this empire. It will happen. I'm I for hope sure. so. So um, we'll, we'll get the first glimpse of it in this interview. So it is it is the summer of 2019 now. Uh, Bitcoin just rallied to 20 to, to 14,000. We thought the bull market is back. Kind of jokes and us. It wasn't the time yet. Um, you're with Delphi now. You guys start putting out reports. I think you guys you know getting the f first good amount of traction, but it's still kind of a bear market. Mm -hmm. What kind of happened next? I mean, it was a brutal bear market. Mm -hmm. I mean, you know, when I see tweets that people say, and I mean, this applies to you too, right? Mm -hmm. And somebody who built over the same amount of time, mm -hmm. you know, people think crypto people got lucky, yeah. right? They're like, oh, overnight success. Oh, crazy rally the last six months or a year. Like, like, no, man. Like, we put rent on credit cards, electric yeah. bills. Like, we used our own money for stuff like that. Like, the journey to build a business, especially during those bear markets, is hard and it wasn't yeah. just waiting for revenue right you also needed the underlying space to get adoption and credibility mm -hmm. which we didn't even have back then yeah so the mix of those two things made it really difficult so it took it took a long time I mean, it was a lot of consulting a lot of pushing research mm -hmm. um and then eventually we got to you know the first real bull market mm -hmm. which really took things to the next level right and that's something i you know you guys have done really well and i respect you for is that you you did consulting but you did it in a way where it didn't damage your reputation. Cause you know, in the bear market, and the, 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 the unfortunate truth is that the bear market was so rough that many people fell by the wayside because they let the need get in the way of the ethics. Where many big names that were big names in 2017 became like, you, you can't touch them anymore. Felix, I love your knowledge of people in the space cause you just hit it on the head. I mean, we got offers from, I remember, tough mm -hmm. time bear market, yeah. you wanna take some money, and joke projects come to you with, you know, hey, here's a hundred grand, here's a million bucks. Mm -hmm. You know, we want to use your name, we want to use your brand. And, you know, after talking at our exec meetings, we obviously decided not to do it. Mm -hmm. And to your point, we really are glad that we did. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but it wasn't easy to say no. Yeah, you know? yeah, because I mean, you know, I remember in the bear market, uh, at some point I was, I, I had to sell like, you know, one to two Bitcoin a month just to keep running operations because, you know, the burn was negative. And now in hindsight, you think, well, wow, that's a lot of Bitcoin. But on the flip side, of course, making way more than that now because, you know, you, 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 you paid it forward, so to say, right? Agreed. Yeah, it's hard to, I mean, I have a similar story. Like I sold a lot of, or, or I sold helium that I was mining mm -hmm. early on to pay for things. And I obviously regret that. But it, it is, to your point, you, you did that so that you could live to fight another day at a bigger Correct. battle, right? And that's why I think we're here. Awesome. So you said the, the bull market started coming. When, when in your eyes did the bull market start? Is there like a specific month or quarter or time when to you like things changed? 
God, I don't know. It seems like it all just happened at once. What do you think? I don't know. For me, it was post-COVID crash DeFi summer. That was like a big turning point. That's where, a good point. Where, because like, well, COVID crash was demolishing to a lot of people. A lot of funds shut down. A yeah. lot of people. That was like ultimate like capitulation, so to say. Yeah. I just, at that point, I was like, dude, I'm way too deep. You know, I, I love Wolf Wall Street. I'm not fucking leaving, <laughs> right? But we, the show goes on. And <laughs> it, it was tough. I mean, I remember, I guess two things stand out at memory. The, the first one is when you're in finance launched. Mm -hmm. So, you know, fair launch, yep. yield farming. I, you know, I remember putting an article on Delphi out really short on that one. And none of us had any idea of like, you know, the impact that Andre would yep. have early on. But I mean, fast forward and I mean, the birth of yield farming. Well, I mean, you yep. give synthetics credit for that maybe. Sure. But um, that was huge. Um, and I mean, the other one to your point was that post COVID crash was, or, uh, glow up was, was crazy. Right. Yeah. And then that's when we had compound rewards, balancer, the launched, you had uni airdrop. Oh man. Like DeFi summer, at least in, in my world was that, I mean, I mean, we share, we share the same world, but like, I guess in my story, so to say, was like a big turning point. Yeah. And I think that's also when one of your first claim to fame traits came to, to which was rune. Yeah, Rune, Rune was good for Delphi. Uh, my partners, Jan and MJ, led that one for mm -hmm. us. And that was big. I mean, they're a cross-chain, obviously, liquidity provider. Mm -hmm. um, and they're actually doing extremely well right now. Mm -hmm. I mean, they had a rough summer. We helped them uh, through, through a hack or two, but um, they've done extremely well. And the thesis just makes sense, right? right? Like, you know, we're in this space because we want sovereignty. We want decentralization. Mm -hmm. But all day long, we're using centralized entities. We're sending money through Coinbase. We're using you know, say in Fura, things like that on the Web3 side. But, you know, Rune is actually a decentralized real way yep. that you could send money around cross-chain. And that's huge. And I mean, even to provide liquidity and get yield on the DeFi side there, it just made a ton of sense. Right. And especially, the, you know, one more context, I think, to bring in is like back in like 2018 and, and early 2019, you know, when you, you started this, this was peak Bitcoin maximalism. Oh, where God. touching anything other than Bitcoin almost got you labeled as a scammer, as like, you know, why are you touching these shit coins? Nothing else has value, where there was a lot of pride in people calling themselves Bitcoin Maxi. Yeah, I uh, I was very much against maximalism, mm -hmm. as, as you know. I mean, I tweeted out that Bitcoin will eventually have to remove its hard cap back in 2018. Um, mm. So, I mean, I was like very much against that early on. And I mean, I wasn't against it because I didn't think at the time they wouldn't figure out Bitcoin scaling. I didn't mm -hmm. have the technical knowledge. I still don't to understand if they will or they won't. It doesn't seem like they will. Mm -hmm. But it was just the incessant, like, let's eat steaks and stack yeah, yeah, sats. Yeah, yeah. It was, like, exhausting. Like, <laughs> can you guys go build a project? Yeah, yeah, like, yeah, yeah. I, I have like, steaks. boring after a while. I know. I have the steaks. I have the sats. What's next? <laughs> it was it was boring. I cut out the seed oils, you know. It's like he yeah. prayed the, the alt of Satoshi once a day. It's like, <laughs> all right, well. There was churches to Satoshi Bitcoin back then, I think. Probably, um, yeah. I mean, at least all, people had like shrines in their houses, but yeah. I digress. Yeah, so, so that's right about the time, I think, when you guys launched Delphi Ventures, right? That was like summer of... Delphi Ventures was 20 months ago, so 2020 yep. summer. Yeah, so July, August, uh, we spent a lot of time trying to raise capital from people. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, we have a great brand, so we mm -hmm. didn't think it would be hard, and raising capital is hard. <laughs> I mean, you've done it yeah. several times, and you're, you're extremely successful at it because of your story and your knowledge. But, I mean, it was tough, and mm -hmm. we, you know, flew around the world. You know, we got commits from people, um, and eventually, instead of raising some big fund, we decided, hey, let's pull the capital we have, which mm -hmm. was most of our net worths at the time, mm -hmm. pulled that, and we started Delphi Ventures. We started with you know a little over a million bucks mm -hmm. in that in that summer, and since then we've reinvested our capital uh, 
don't have outside LPs. Mm -hmm. um, Did you ever well. rethink that? That you said, hey, why not now that the, the name and brand is even bigger, why not trans transform it and make it open? Oh God, I have no interest. No interest. Yeah, it's just, I mean, the, the space, the deals are so competitive. Yeah. I mean, people in crypto or outside crypto see all this money pouring and they're like, mm. oh, it must be easy to allocate. Like, mm. you know this as well as I do, it is not. I mean, you fight for two, three, 500K checks in yep. leading projects. A lot of the founders like to do party rounds, get a lot of funds involved, which runs completely contrary to the incentives of keeping a fund aligned. Correct. So it makes it hard to you know secure allocations on that side. And frankly, I just don't want to give up the returns to outside LPs. I'd rather just keep it internal and use that to fund Delphi's growth. And I, I want to disclose how big you guys have grown. I think Jan talked about some numbers before. <laughs> I think he mentioned some stellar numbers, but yeah, uh, yeah I'm not one to share. Okay, <laughs> well, let's just say he's done at least uh, one or two zeros have been added, right? So it's been it's been it's been done really well. Um, awesome. So and right around that time is also when your next probably maybe the biggest claim to fame play came around, which was Axie. How did that come to be? Why did you choose to work with them? And because you guys were, I guess, consulting, investing, and then also involved in YGG. So maybe can give a little bit of background on that. Yeah, I mean, it came around because. Um, we were close to the team. Mm -hmm. We were doing um, gaming work for another fund, consulting. Mm -hmm. Came across Axie and we started working for them. It just made sense from like a Pokemon Go perspective for some of our partners. Mm -hmm. And uh, yeah, we went to work. I mean, it, it took a lot of work on that side. There were obviously concurrent consulting jobs at that mm -hmm. point. But it was funny. I mean, Axie also couldn't even raise money at that time. Mm. I think there was like limited interest for, I think it was a million dollar round, I forgot. Wow. Yeah. But it was hard to raise money. And I mean, to see the success that they've had, I mean, with Axie and Ronin was, was huge. But yeah, I mean, again, we didn't have that much capital, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, remember, we only had a little over a million bucks. So, yep. you know, after allocating to Rune and then uh, another big play for us early on was Tokamak. It was mm -hmm. called Fractal back then. Yep. Um, I, I met him in the bear market. It's so cool that this is the thing that always keeps happening is like you meet some of the bear market, you don't hear of them for two or three years. And then all of a sudden you see like a billion dollar project <laughs> or like a massive, like this company just raised 500 million. You're like, wait a second. I know you. That's the guy that I had lunch with, yep. you know? Yeah. I so mean, that was Carson with me. Yeah. Carson is just, I mean, when we met Carson, uh, we were like, oh my God, like, I, you know, I need to record this call so I can re-listen to it mm -hmm. and understand what he's talking about, like level <laughs> smart. But the liquidity direction was super cool. Mm -hmm. I mean, taking an existing, you know, market making business that they had and yep. decentralizing that. So anybody could provide capital. It could be directed. You can get yield. It just made sense. Yeah. Uh, we spent obviously an enormous amount of time diligencing it. Um, but I mean, they've really grown. I mean, Paul and their whole team have just crushed the community engagement side. Mm -hmm. I mean, they have grown an incredible community and it clearly shows. I mean, the token price is doing pretty well. Yeah. And I think this is a good time, you know, we'll, 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 I guess we'll finish the biography uh, later, but this is probably a really good time to kind of like dive just a little, an inch deeper mm -hmm. on all these, like whether it's Rune, Axie or Tokemak, you know, those are the winners. You've also, you said you wrote a hundred checks. You've looked at a lot of others. What do you think made the difference between those three? Is it, is it, is it the founders, the teams, the products? Is it lucky? Like where, where do you see, like if, cause, cause I think you, and I guess both you and I are great case studies for a lot of young people out there that say, Hey, I'm not a crypto OG. I think both of you and I probably thought we were late. I know I felt I was late to crypto. Definitely felt late. Definitely felt late, <laughs> yeah. right? So I think there's a lot of people out there, they think they're late, crypto already happened. Um, 
They might have some background, but not a crazy background. They don't have a huge bank role. They might not have a lot of connections. When, when I first started the fund, you know, I, I was only able to raise like six figures. It was tiny, right? Mm -hmm. And so, you know, I think a lot of people could relate. So what were the things that, you know, led you to these deals? Well, it's funny, your six figures, it doesn't sound like a lot today, but like crypto adjusted if you raise that capital. Today. Yeah, like it's course. an insane amount of money back yeah. then. And you deserve credit for that. I, you know, Delphi Ventures has evolved so much since we started. Mm -hmm. I mean, when we first started, it was, you know, the seven of us. So mm -hmm. the original five partners and then Jan and Jose, who yep. now lead our labs division. Uh, it was us debating stuff as we normally did as execs, right? Mm -hmm. You know, we'd sit around a table, we'd argue, we're all friends, so it was very casual. Mm -hmm. You know, we could dive into stuff. And, you know, that's how it, it was. But one of the key items for success was there was an insane amount of screening and due diligence that went into mm -hmm. each play. And that was driven from the research division. Yeah. So the ability to go really deep into projects. I don't mean like, you know, okay, they use a bridge and it's a two or three multi, I don't mean mm -hmm. that. I mean like really understanding, drilling the team on the technicals, the econ and the product and understanding it after having that research knowledge and reusing that base, mm -hmm. that's what made the difference back then. But today it's totally different. Okay. I mean, Delphi is huge. Right. So, I mean, I'm basically a generalist at this point. You know, my job is to make sure that the experts in each subset of Delphi have the resources, the time, and the access they need to research plays and to make the best decisions they can. Mm -hmm. I, there's no way that, you know, I or any one person in crypto can know every segment. Back then we could. There's mm -hmm. MakerDAO, remember? Bitcoin yeah. But today there's, you know, there's multiple layer ones mm -hmm. with their own ecosystems, system, yeah. with their own attributes. The technicals are all different. You need people just for DeFi, and not just DeFi anymore, but each subsegment: Money markets, lending, borrowing, stable coins, NFTs, DAOs, all on each chain. So the, the point is, you need a lot of different people yeah. with direct focus. And that's, I think, what has made Delphi Ventures successful on, you know, call it round two. Not mm -hmm. fun two, but round two where it's a lot of grassroots experts providing their specialized knowledge to drive results. So would you say that's the best, like if if your cousin or future son, well actually no, that, that does make sense timeline-wise, <laughs> but you know, there's a, Hopefully there, not there's, a, there's a 20, <laughs> let's say there's a 20 year old that says like, hey, I wanna be Tom from like three years ago. Um, would you say like find that niche expertise where you just dominate like one sector because that's where you can have an edge? You only make money staying concentrated. Mm -hmm. So you either have to focus all of your time into being an expert in one area, mm -hmm. or you have to manage the experts. You know, I used to be hopefully one of those experts, mm -hmm. now I manage the experts, so or help manage them. But that's, I think, the key. You only make money when you have a lot of leverage and knowledge to do that, right? And you only have that if you specialize. Mm -hmm. You need to know like the nitty gritty details of your sector and the projects within yep. so that you have the conviction to put most or all of your money into it. Mm -hmm. And then you have the knowledge to hold it through a bear market. Yep. Nobody apes their net worth into something, holds it through a bear market randomly. Well, mm -hmm. I mean, a lot of really <laughs> Some people. people did. But, but know, then they yeah. sell the moment it's like a cent above a break even and they never actually capture any upside. Exactly, yeah, I mean, Again, just like a business, mm -hmm. the, these plays that you and I invest in, they look like overnight successes when you sell. Mm -hmm. But having the conviction to hold through that, you know, bear market or that sell-off mm -hmm. or that hack or even to reallocate more, yeah. that's what drives the growth. And having that conviction is key. And you have to concentrate your knowledge to be able to do that. 
And it's 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 funny because you said a word with concentration. Um, I remember it was a bear market tweet, or might have even been like a 2020 tweet of yours, where you said, "I I have great." Tweet I have memory. some cringe tweets, man. There. Please don't. <laughs> <laughs> it's not that one. Okay, good. Yeah, unless good. you want to share which that one is. <laughs> yeah, I'm yeah. Um, no, it, it, it said, I think fortunes are made through concentration and fortunes are defended through diversification. Something along those lines where it said, because people keep preaching, oh, diversification, diversification, diversification. Yeah, I mean, that's what you do when you already have it and you want to, yeah. you know, defend it. But the biggest, you know, whether it's the biggest entrepreneurs, I mean, if you're a founder, you have a hundred percent concentration in your company, right? Exactly. I mean, take out the, you know, take out the concentration of capital, take out the concentration for knowledge. It's just fun. Yeah. Like, do I care about the thousandth play that I'm looking no. at? God, no. Like, it doesn't make any difference to me. But being able to have specialized knowledge works, mm -hmm. and the ability, you know, the only reason Delphi is able to make so many bets is because we have such a large team mm. and we can have individual people have their full-time job as those projects. Mm. If we were writing 100 ch checks and we still had the original partners, that would be, you know, cringe for founders. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> you know, hey, you're that it wouldn't work. Yeah, so how do you deal with that from a allocation perspective? Do you trust the 105 or let how of the 105 how many analysts? Um, I mean, the ventures division is you know, only 25 or 25, 30 people of that. Right. There's some overlaps here and there. So yeah. let's, say, let's say 25. Um, do they have discretion in allocating? Because you say, like, you are the expert. I trust you'll make the right call. Mm -hmm. Or is it ultimately still because you said you're a generalist, they make the presentation, and you're like, all right, this is a go, this is not a go. Yeah, I mean, it's a, a member-managed focus. So, you know, anybody could come present their idea. Mm -hmm. um, but at the end of the day, it's, you know, it's a meritocracy. So whoever mm -hmm. has the best idea wins. And it's not, like... I say that meritocracy comes off combative, right? Mm. Like, oh, this guy's trying to unseat me with his knowledge. It's yeah. really not like that. It's it's more so, hey, this person spent an insane amount of their time to understand this. Mm -hmm. Here's their presentation, and here's why they want to allocate capital to this. Yep. Let's listen and let's discuss it. And if it's a great play, we allocate. Awesome. Okay. And have you found that the quality, and I guess this is not meant to be a, a and, you know, a, a thing on Hit your in, a, analysts. No, 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 no. On your, because I'm, I'm going to say, like, has the quality decreased or increased since you've been scaling? Since, you know, it's not the original six anymore yeah. that make all the calls. But now, you know, it could be that an analyst says no to something that might have been the next axie, right? That maybe they, they looked over. Yeah. But there is a certain level of, like, you know, trust and delegating that you just have to do. Like, you can't look yeah. at every deal. I personally, one of my biggest pet peeves is when somebody hits me with, oh, you passed on this. It has a massive value. I, mm. I can't stand it. It's like, yes. Oh, we God, I just sent you that email about the killed. <laughs> <laughs> I'm leaving, man. <laughs> but uh, no, I mean, of course, right? Yeah. You can't have every deal. Yeah. Like, there's going to be selective ideas that you miss, mm. right? It would be weird if there weren't, right? Um, and you have reasons for passing at that time, which mm. are irrespective of the current valuation, which might not even be sustainable, right? Mm -hmm. And that's more of a generic answer. But no, the quality has greatly increased because, you know, we're all, all the execs have to do jobs that the analysts don't have to do, right? Right. Ops, legal, regulations, hiring, firing, mm. managing, incentives, like all that stuff. You, you can't do that and be specialized assuming the whole breadth of the space. So right. having dedicated people has really helped a lot. And, you know, they shine. We have a lot of incredible people at Delphi that do mm -hmm. that. You know, we have analysts like, um, you know, Avi, who has done an insane amount of work on Web3 or Alex Golding on Solana. Mm -hmm. I mean, our, our breadth there has really helped a lot. Awesome. No, that, that, that helps a lot. How do you, what do you value more 
when you look, because you said you're, you're focusing on early stage, like pre seed rounds, pre-seed, and so forth. Let's say there's three aspects. There's founder, product, and tokenomics. I think I heard those things earlier from you. Mm -hmm. Is it that they have to have all, all of the above, or what's the hierarchy of them? I'd love to run through this. It's a great question. Um, so pre-seed, seed, the founders have to be, it's a different stage, mm -hmm. right? You're not dealing with, you know, a, a business or a project that's growing and needs new capital. Mm -hmm. You're dealing with something that's generally idea stage mm -hmm. that hasn't been launched yet, as you know, just for the listeners. And, you know, it's it's risky, but it's also exciting. Yep. So understanding the founder at, I think, a personal level is important. Mm -hmm. Like when I see a play come to IC and it's sub 25 or sub 50 mil val, and when I say val, I mean on the token side, yep. not the equity side, because it's usually two to one, Confusing, which yeah. is annoying. Um, but under, you know, there's no way you get to know a founder in 24 hours. Mm -hmm. I mean, you got to have a couple calls, meet in person, at least have three calls. Mm -hmm. I mean, you're you're in a relationship for at least your vesting period, years. Dude, that's a not not to interrupt, but like that's the, like an intermission that I had to like learn because I, you know, I've been running a hedge fund for four years, just launched the venture fund. And, you know, in the hedge fund, we have this thing called beta where we say, like, you know, like, we want to get exposed to metaverse. Let's go buy five metaverse plays. They don't have to win long term. All I have to do is catch, capture the, you know, this cycle beta, you know, the, the, the whole metaverse basket goes up. I sell 14 days later, 30 days later, and it's out, right? But with venture, you're married yeah. for, like, five years. You, you got to take one hat on, put the other on yeah. for you and stuff. But you, you are married, right? I mean, understanding why it sounds like all you know, classic VC mm -hmm. style thing I'm gonna say, it sounds dumb, but it matters. Like understanding why a founder wants to start a project mm -hmm. and getting a good answer is the reason why they'll make it successful. If you get a half answer, are they gonna stay in a bear market? Mm -hmm. Are they gonna make the decisions or spend the time or answer that email at 3 a.m. in the morning on Sunday to get there? Probably not. If they're starting a project to solve a huge pain point of theirs, mm -hmm. think Zapper, one of our earliest investments yep. through the fund, I mean, Seb, um, and a couple and two other founders, Suhail and, and one other, they started that because post a merger because they didn't have any tool to track their value, right? Mm -hmm. We still don't have great tools, but then Zapper came around and they crushed it. And it came out of a burning desire for from them to make it easy to track your net worth across all the chains, all the farming and everything. That's a just one example of mm -hmm. founders that really crushed that, but they need to be passionate, relentless, economically aligned, Mm -hmm. And, you know, there also has to be a good dynamic between the founders. How do you guys handle problems and conflicts? Do you handle discourse? Like that sort of thing is really, really important. But generally you can tell the passion from a founder when you get into it because they will, you know, one of my key tells is like the amount of detail they give you and the amount of rabbit holes mm -hmm. they go down. You know, like you could ask about something seriously mundane. Like we invested in GM recently, um, that XYZ, and I mean, his, which is a Web3 social media type play, mm -hmm. but his desire to just talk about intricate little things like followers and go down rattles for an hour, you know that's a founder that's gonna yeah. crush it. Right, when they nerd out and you're exactly. like, honestly, it's a little bit too much info, but like, I just enjoy that you enjoy. You could tell they're thinking about <laughs> it. Yeah, exactly. When you, get a, when you get a founder and they're like, oh, you know, we'll figure it out. Like, you know, that's next year's problem or, you know, we're gonna hire someone to handle that. Like, wow, you didn't even think about it. Like, oh. Right. That, then it gets rough. Like all the questions I ask, you should almost almost be annoyed about it because you've you've been thinking about them so much already. You that should be this totally not... annoyed. Yeah, right. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, yeah. We like, should be annoyed. Isn't this obvious? And like you know, to us it might not be, but to him it should be or her. You know. Yeah. No, it totally should. 
Um, one of the things, there's a couple of things I want to dig in from what you just said. One was you said they should be economically aligned, um, which kind of brings me to the conversation of equity versus tokens. Because, mm -hmm. you know, we, when we, when ICOs first came about, tokens were useless and people pretty much work for equity. Prime example, like Ripple, where like Ripple Labs is a super valuable company. Ripple the token. I mean, I'm a famous shorter of it, you know? I love that you did. <laughs> <laughs> I called them out on Bloomberg and I was waiting for to get swatted by, uh, yeah. you know, drug lords all over. Yeah. So, so there's that. And then over, over, or, you know, you know, DeFi, someone, whatnot, tokens started making value. And then you start having valuable tokens and valuable equity. Now, slowly, people are dissolving their foundations, dissolving their firms. Now we've got DAO-centric approach. Now you've got NFTs with private equity. You know, so like in, in, a, in a world like that, where there is sometimes one to two to three competing sources of value, how do you define econ economically aligned for the team? Yeah, that's it's it's a deep question. And it's a good one, especially from investment angle and a community building. Mm -hmm. We'd love to talk about communities later yep. too. But the, so generally when we look at deals, it's, uh, and obviously this is an advice and I'll let the legal, the lawyers, <laughs> you know, fill in the details. None of this is financial advice. Or legal, not advice. legal advice. But generally the way we see deals, same as you. You know, yeah. you get an equity uh, entity you invest into and usually it's um, a safe and a warrant. So mm -hmm. a simple agreement for future equity and a warrant for eventual tokens. Yep. The warrant's usually at a two or a three X multiple of the equity. So mm -hmm. the team comes to you, you know, all happy. Hey, it's 25 mil value. And you sign, the, you look at the docs and they're 75 mil and right. good venture teams will be like, what the hell? Um, but that dichotomy between equity and tokens is really hard to get around, mm -hmm. I think. And generally equity plays are just not interesting to us because it doesn't play into the nature of the space, right? Mm -hmm. You want a token because you want to give away your project to the world, yep. to incentivize users, to share value, to incentivize people to build this thing and own it, right? Mm -hmm. We don't want an equity IPO. I don't want to own yep. shares on something on the NASDAQ. I don't think you do either, right? And it's just not interesting. You can't use those shares in the protocol, right? right? I'm not, you know, it's stuck there. I'm going to proxy vote for something on a board meeting someday. No, nobody ever does, right? But having a token that you can use to grow a protocol is just fun and interesting, mm -hmm. way smoother and plays into the nature of the space. So generally we look for, we generally I am, my recurring ask on RIC for mm -hmm. every play is what's the token val? And so mm -hmm. the equity and people get annoyed, but generally we look at the token side on, on the val side. And you know, you asked about founders being aligned, you know, there's another dichotomy between community ownership and having a founding team that owns too much. Mm -hmm. You mentioned Ripple, like those founders got ridiculously rich because they owned a majority of a token yep. that had, that I think is a scam, I think you would agree. Yeah, I mean, in the SEC filing, I think they dumped, you know, 680 million or something to oh that tune on the on the public. Meanwhile, like, you know, promoting it and even running marketing makes to pump the price. Oh my God, yeah, yeah that's brutal. I don't, I'm surprised yeah. they got away with it. But, um, I mean, you want founders that are aligned, yeah. right? You want founders that are... So what's a sweet spot, maybe? I mean, when you see a game that takes five years to build and the founders vested in 18 months, red flag, right? right. Like, it, it is product-specific. Mm. But you, I mean, I generally look for, like, three, four-year vesting. Three, four-year vesting? I don't know. I mean, what's the, you know, at a billion-dollar valve, they own 1% of it or something like that. Mm -hmm. Maybe, you know, even more than that, 1% to 5%, something like that. You, you want them to get rich. They're spending For the whole life. team or per founder? I guess it depends. Yeah. I mean, team bucket, 10, 15% could make mm -hmm. sense total. Um, I mean, you want these guys to get rich. You want them to be successful. Right. You want them to have a, a you don't want them to spend two years and look at what they built and right. not own a big But part in of the them. end game, not not before the work is done. Because exactly. I think that happens a lot in crypto where, You're right. 
you know, because it's liquid, you know, because bull markets happen, sometimes really immature projects start like launch at like a billion dollar valuation. Founders like, I mean, I started this 12 months ago, six months ago. They dip, they leave. Yeah. I mean, there isn't, I mean, a high FDV or Val out of the gate is like a death curse. I mean, you got to fight to maintain it every day. Mm -hmm. Um, There's a huge gap between the circulating supply and the FDV and Mm -hmm. it's tough. Like, you know, these founders launch with these mega high FDVs Mm -hmm. and they feel like successful Mm -hmm. and it sucks because they're not because what community member wants to buy a token of something that's already so high there's no upside for them right and i mean you could displace that by giving them a higher quantity of tokens but Mm. then again you're using your whole supply on that so it, it is tough how do you um when is it the right time to launch a token because i think that's another thing where i've seen both mistakes there's there's been teams that wait forever and then exactly that happens they launch right out the, out the yeah. gate in the in the billions and you know the the public markets can't benefit from it anymore and there was a really interesting thesis i think um ryan from sorry wrote mm-hmm. the Selkis wrote about it a couple of years ago where you know why ethereum and bitcoin have so many staunch followers is because they made so many people rich right the more people you take with you the more people will fight for you they did and i i know some of them and they're great people mm-hmm. but the reminder is that what is their incentive to come to work every day? Fear. If you're worth a billion dollars, are you showing up to core dev meetings? I mean, maybe because you have so much of your value mm-hmm. lock, but realistically, probably not. There's nothing wrong with that, though. Mm-hmm. I mean, these people allocated significant amounts of their time and capital at mm-hmm. early stages of projects. I have nothing against them being successful. And I think, oh, no, no, yeah. no, no. That, no, yeah. that, that, that wasn't so, as much a point. The point was more so... Um, you let's say you invest in the project mm-hmm. when do you advise them to launch oh, sorry. tge when do you launch yeah. uh, advise them to launch a to- token because like if you wait till the billions you're not going to get as much of community yeah. but if you do it like very early on that can be a curse too because there might not be enough liquidity and if it then drops you won't be able to raise any more money because then you're stuck in let's say the the 20 million market cap range which can be pretty death unless you find somebody that you know wants to sell, save you like you're, me you're totally right <laughs> no you're right it's it's tough. I mean, again, not legal advice, but I, I generally do not push teams to launch a token. No, okay. Because I, not that I don't want them to, mm-hmm. but I want them to come to us with a really good reason why. Gotcha. Right? So, you know, the worst thing, and you just brought this up, mm. is a team launches a token and nobody knows what it does. Yeah. It's just sitting there bleeding, looking for a use case, looking for a buyer. It's nothing to do, nowhere to go. It's mm. terrible, right? But being able to have some semblance of, you know, hey, our token's gonna be used for this, this, and this, here's our roadmap, and you know what, this isn't a fake roadmap, we could actually deliver on this stuff, right? right? We'll have syncs for it, we'll have use cases, then it makes sense to launch a token. Launching a token just to launch it is dumb. I mm-hmm. mean, it's, it's so stupid. And I mean, on the pre-seed seed side, the plays are so early mm-hmm. that we're not really asking for, you know, what's your full token econ plan? Right. How are they gonna know? right? It's too early. What we look for is, you know, can they get to product market fit? Can they be massively valuable? Mm -hmm. And if so, can a token kind of make sense here or fit in? Mm -hmm. We're not looking for, you know, staking yields or specific dynamics on what they'll do or the specific sinks. But what we are looking for is, can it be very successful? Mm -hmm. And could a token make sense here? Mm -hmm. And if that's the case, then we're fine to invest at the early stage. Got you. Okay. So it's less about that the token is really already planned and committed and the TGE is let's say six months out, 12 months out, it's more so, it's a great product that where a token could make sense. Having that much token plan that early 
might even be a red flag. Right. Because why are you not focusing on hiring, delivering your product, mm -hmm. shipping code, building a community, right? The token stuff could be figured out later. Right. And it doesn't always get figured out later, mm -hmm. as you know. Like some of these projects have no need for a token mm -hmm. and maybe they stay equity. But yeah, I think that you need a good semblance, but definitely not looking for insane token plans early on. Mm -hmm. Since you guys are, have kind of become known as the token guys in terms of like, you know, <laughs> making tokenomics, you know, I mean, anytime we talk to early stage, they're like, yeah, maybe we can lock down Delphi Digital <laughs> and they can, as an investor and then they can make our token model, you know, it's like you guys have the, the, the magic, right? So what, what, what is some of that magic? What do you think is our key components to a successful token? It's a really good question. Um, a successful token is not easy, mm -hmm. right? But it's also not all Delphi, right? Mm -hmm. It's having a team that understands what their project is and mm -hmm. what a token would be used for is huge. Mm -hmm. You know, we're not the founding team of these projects, mm -hmm. right? How the hell are we supposed to know what your token's gonna be used for down the lines? We have conversations, we get to an understanding, but the team should bring a good level of knowledge on what they wanna do with their token. Mm -hmm. And when I say that, I mean, you know, what is the plans for your project? Who are you trying to incentivize? Who are you trying to disincentivize? What are the economic attack vectors you're trying to avoid? Mm -hmm. Are you gonna raise in the future via a round or something like an IDO or an LBA or an LBP or mm -hmm. something like that? So we gotta put tokens there. Those things are important. And then when they come to us, we can really help them optimize and just key in on what that all means. Mm -hmm. And we've seen a lot of really bad token econ pitches from a lot of really smart teams. And that's fine. We're yeah. not that's our focus, it's not their focus, and that's how we help a lot. But being able, I think, to understand at a granular level, you know, hey, we didn't use our whole token supply for a bad use case like we just discussed, mm -hmm. right? We're, we haven't launched the token yet because we're not sure what it's like. We love that. Trying mm -hmm. to repair it after the fact is really hard because you already spent all your tokens. But coming with a supply to use to incentivize a community for a real project yep. is super fun. And it takes a lot of work to understand who you want to incentivize, what the economic attack factors mm -hmm. are you're trying to avoid. Um, is fun because it's like a creative design space. You know, I saw uh, you know an easel on your den before, right? Yeah. You like to paint. Like it's the same kind of idea because on a per project basis, you get to work with founders to bring in users for totally different use cases, mm -hmm. and it's like super exciting to be able to do that with some teams. Yeah, I think that was one of the one of the most fascinating cultural changes that crypto has brought forth is really understanding incentives, but to such a deep degree yeah. where you understand, you know, incentives make the world go round. Let's place the right incentives in the right place. And this thing will almost build itself. You're, you're totally right. And the funny part is, and I don't really know how to contextualize mm -hmm. it the right way. You know, you go on the internet and you find experts on anything like yeah. Reddit, like you can find <laughs> experts on curtains or cleaning or lights or, you yeah. know, radios, satellites, whatever, right? You're tapping into, to your point, a global community of people mm -hmm. and all they have is time, right? They will all come together on forums and you'll have an hour of this person's time, multiply that by thousands of people mm -hmm. around the world with different skill sets mm -hmm. and they will eventually optimize the token to your point. So. Us helping to build a good base for our projects, I think, is really important. Mm -hmm. But eventually, having a community really take shape and to influence mm -hmm. the token is massively important because they are the users and the owners of the project. Mm -hmm. Unlike the traditional world where they're totally separated, yep. where the owners of Apple, you know, them buying a MacBook doesn't matter. No. But you holding a significant compound stake and also lending a lot of money on it yep. makes you 
power user who should have a say in how that token reacts and implements. Mm -hmm. On one side of the hand, you know, you might want to give a lot of comp out because you're a huge lender and you want the incentive. On the other side, you want to not earn that and give it to borrowers so you have people borrowing the capital you're putting in, which mm -hmm. is against your self-interest as a user. So, I mean, comp is not maybe not the best example, but I think the good part is that you have a global discourse and debate to eventually get to the incentives you want. And it doesn't always pan out. Governance is extremely hard. Yeah. And what I'm saying is probably a little utopian, <laughs> but I think we'll eventually get there. Well, that actually brings me to a really important question too. You know, how early, when is the right time to decentralize? Because, you know, I've, I've seen both ends of the spectrum where, I mean, nowadays, you know, DAOs are the hottest thing and people yeah. try to be decentralized from day one, which, you know, Oof. is very, you know, ambitious, but at the, like also disorganized, you know, because ultimately, even as somebody that loves decentralization, centralization to degree gives direction. Like sometimes you need somebody at the helm, at least in the beginning, right? That can give the direction that will be like, you know, the, the, the buck stops with them. Like they will always keep pushing even when everybody else quits. Um, but then, you know, of course people say, well, this is not decentralized. The team has all the say, all the power. So at what time would you recommend teams to, um, or at least recommend teams slash have you seen what works best? Yeah, it's a really good question. And I mean, it's central to the whole space and why we're both here, yeah. right? I mean, when I see an early stage project, I want it completely centralized, mm -hmm. right? I want to meet insane founders that are running extremely fast. Mm -hmm. I don't want them to be slowed down by like a community's opinions. I want them to like build an initial MVP, get the code out mm. and give me something to try or to use, yep. right? Eventually over time, I think they should decentralize. And the yep. whole progressive decentralization meme is nice, but the reality of it is I think it's basically just bringing in other people while maintaining that core team saying yes or mm -hmm. no at the end of the day, which is fine. But I think after you have a core team to ship something that the community can play with and get yeah. involved with and have upside and ownership in, at that point you should start to decentralize the community. Let other people who are self-interested mm -hmm. do proposals and discussions and debates and start to real get a sense of ownership in this mm -hmm. thing. And eventually over time, I think it should be fully decentralized and owned by the community. Yeah. The reality is there's very few examples of this. I mean, Kane from Synthetics was an amazing one. Yeah. He was an incredible guy, by the way. I mean, he, I think, left for a good amount of time and then ended up coming back. Mm -hmm. You know, Rune from MakerDAO just left. Yep. Um, I mean, those are really the only two examples I can point to. Mm -hmm. I mean, Vitalik is is pretty hands-off at this point mm -hmm. ethereum is so big i don't yeah. i don't think he's hands-off i don't want to speak for him yeah, but yeah. i mean the developer group around ethereum is so robust that you know if vitalik you know went on vacation today mm -hmm. nobody notices if vitalik right. went on vacation years ago th this the market stopped right do you remember the tweets like they, vitalik died? i think that was right there was one day where like you know vitalik was in a car accident it's like <laughs> flash crash 10 cents <laughs> <laughs> yeah it's i i'm hoping like my goal and what I tell founders is I eventually want you to fire yourself, mm. right? Like I'm even, you know, we try and do that all day long, like hire an analyst that's better than me at this yeah. or that, right? And that's, I think the goal because we're leaning into community oriented projects that mm -hmm. span the world. There is zero reason why we need like a bureaucratic CEO or something like mm -hmm. that. I, I don't think we're anywhere close to the DAO tooling or coordination mechanisms in Web3 to you know, quote, fire the core team yet. Yep. But, you know, I think we're getting there. And, you know, one of the cool features and projects we invested in recently was coordinate. Mm -hmm. You know, have everyone in a community 
rate everyone else mm. and give value flows to them. Mm -hmm. And that's a really unique way to incentivize people for their work. Hey, you know, Felix was at Hartman Capital all day long working and this other guy wasn't, you know, mm -hmm. and all the LPs vote for you, right? And oh, it's an interesting way to like organize within a DAO, but as you and I both know, there's more DAO tooling companies than there are DAOs. <laughs> yeah, well, I, I think the, the, the funny thing is always the, it's always, it goes from one um, end of the spectrum to the other. A while ago, there was like no DAO tooling and you're like, so what do we use? You know, there was Aragon, and then there's finally Gnosis Safe, yeah. you know. Aragon, jeez. Like, yeah, uh, even though those, because you know, I sat on some um, DAOs that use it, and I was like, it was rough. Yeah. It was very rough to use, you know. Um, and so you have, you know, if, if you're trying to, like, I, I have this thesis, so I, I said on, I think, Palm's podcast, where I said, like, you know, I think by 2025 or 2030, I, th I think it was 2030, I said, there will be more DAOs than LCs, right? Nice. So by 2030. Um, but for that to happen, like, there, there still needs to be a lot of, like, infra that's, that's good. Right, that's actually usable. Yeah, I'm, I am totally with you. I mean, I spend a lot of one of my personal interests is investment DAOs. Mm -hmm. So you know, there's funds today that are purely passive capital. Mm -hmm. um, I mean, Hartman has LPs, but you guys are extremely dedicated, and you actually help build projects. Mm -hmm. Like that's a totally different world. I'm talking more so like the boomer trad five funds oh, who yeah. just want to allocate to the space. Top ten, top twenty coins oh, on God. Coinbase. <laughs> yeah. So I, I mean, my thesis is those guys are gonna get completely smoked. I yeah. mean, they already have, right? I yeah. mean, like you, you talk to TradFi guys and the only thing they're investing in is these Silicon Valley-esque VC plays mm. that they're only getting because they know somebody, which yeah. is stupid because you have to be boots on the ground as we are and you are to really get you know solid plays. But the investment outside is really big to me mm -hmm. where the builders are the LPs and mm. the DAO, right? Because it's their capital but they're also building. So there's no dichotomy between the capital and the builders. And those funds, they haven't really taken off because of some legal restrictions. Yeah. You know, accreditation laws and 3C7s and you know stuff like that and RIA stuff. But when they're able to take off, mm -hmm. I think they're gonna be one of the biggest things in the space. Do you have an issue with founders becoming angels? That's a good question. Uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's tough. I mean, I don't have a problem if they've built out enough of a team to take over their responsibilities. Mm -hmm. If they're writing more angel checks than I am, it's kind of concerning. And it's happened. <laughs> right, it's, it's, it's happened a lot where I would say, you know, I'm just gonna lump them all in a basket so nobody feels personally a target. But I would say a lot of like the DeFi 1.0 class, you yeah. know, most of those founders, they either all have their own, you know, venture funds now, family office, they're, they're famous angels. Meanwhile, DeFi 1.0 is having a pretty rough time, yep. you know? So yeah. it's like the, I think it's the only segment that actually lost money in 2021. Um, it, it's also kind of crazy because like 90% of their wealth are in the L or, or the DeFi project they're not focusing on. Correct. And 25 to 50 angel checks will literally not move the needle for them. Yeah. So it, it also doesn't make sense from like an incentive time spent mm -hmm. scenario, but hell man, keep writing checks. <laughs> I guess, yeah. Well, because it kind of goes hand in hand with what you said a second ago about founders kind of firing themselves ultimately because I, I do think there's a big difference. There's there's builders and there's operators. And in the growth phase, you need a builder that is visionary, that has the drive, that will break rules at time to move things forward. And then when things are at the scale level where now it's like, you know, you've, you've the, the reprise is done and now in the slow growth, you know, this, this sliding phase, so to say, yeah. um, you need an operator that just, you know, keeps everything running smoothly because the, the founder that needs to innovate will probably start hating that job because now it's just 
day-to-day -day operations. It's the, it's the hamster wheel, which some people love. Some people are great managers. So it's almost better to say, hey, that visionary founder, you put in those three years, you find an operator and go build something again because that's what you're good at. I really love how you broke up the builder, initial founder, and mm -hmm. the operator. The biggest issue I see within projects is when that builder starts to get to the phase when they need an operator, mm -hmm. and maybe that operator within the project starts to really grow and you know start to run, that is a hard time. Mm -hmm. Because the basically the parent has to say, you know, I'm leaving my kid, I'm leaving yeah. my project and I'm going. And I don't think a lot of people have that emotional intelligence to do it. I don't even know if I would, mm -hmm. right? Like being able to say, you know, you I built this, now you can grow it better, mm -hmm. that's tough. So I think for founders that can do that, mm. it's great. The reality is, I think to your point, they just start hating what they're doing as operators, as you know, going from builders to operators, and they just burn out and they just right. I think that's kind of what happens. Most it, of the time. it happens a lot because it's it's also got to keep in mind, and we, we both have to look through that. It's a twenty four seven market. Yeah, that is probably one of the it is the most volatile market out there. Yeah, that is also struck with perhaps the most exogenous events where it's like i mean i like for me you know one of those terror few terror months where like i think September, like even after the bear market those were like just years of terror but then like 2020 yep it, we had like september october september october i remember was these really weird months DeFi summer just in a massive crash right yep. and then you had like trump made a comment of crypto you know nuke right qcoin gets hacked nuke Cute right coin. the the ceo of okx got like arrested by the ccp or something like that you know nuke right and it's like you're always like you're always like one weird story that if you have no control over yep away from you know your portfolio getting nuked right how do you handle like crypto stress how do you like unwind disconnect what's your strategy i guess yeah i'm in the views yeah uh for me um a couple things i think one of the biggest changes I made since the bear market was higher time frames. Yeah. You know, I used to be a day trader. The only times I do that if it's catalyst driven. So if there's a yeah. specific read, like I, I know you're in Rune, so I'm sorry. When Rune got hacked the second time in a week, I, I shorted Rune in a long trend because I was like, this yeah. is a pair trade I can make, right? Or when it's the SEC charged Ripple, right? I shorted a Ripple. Those are catalyst short term trades. But if there's no catalyst, I'm longer time horizons now. Like we, our turnover is like three to nine months. So we hold positions for like a quarter. So it's really much slower, which means I can take my time to research. I identify something, I pick it up. Um, and then, f you know, furthermore, you know, managing portfolio level exposure. So having hedges in place may allows you to sleep better. And last but not least, I think lifestyle wise, you do need hobbies that take your mind off. So for That's me- That's a for big one especially when the when markets are horrible, right? Yeah. Like so for in the bear market, I did a lot of like martial arts. The reason that worked for me is because you have to take your mind off, otherwise you get punched in the face. But you're, you're totally right. <laughs> I mean, you'll just, you'll work nonstop yeah. and burn yourself out. Like I, I mean, I even catch myself doing that on Mondays. I'm like, man, I got a whole week. I gotta like slow down a little yeah. bit. But you're, I love your, your hobby segment. I mean, for me, I mean, frankly, it was more of an operational step, right? Mm -hmm. It was being, you know, as you know, Delphi has, has a lot of people in it, a lot yeah. of groups and it, it sounds stupid, but it was frankly just messages. Mm -hmm. I mean, being in so many groups and within Telegram, Delphi, Discord, oh my god, <laughs> I mean, Signal, all. I mean, being in so many Delphi groups and so many external mm -hmm. Portco chats, and then obviously all of your community chats, mm -hmm. it's exhausting. I mean, and I realized at some point that I'm actually doing everyone within Delphi and our LP or not our LPs, but our Portcos a disservice mm -hmm. because I don't have the time to you know reply to specific 
requests targeted at me mm-hmm. in a thoughtful manner. So basically what I did was one day I just muted 99% of my chats outside of our exec and you Beautiful. know important ones. And now I just reply to people when they at me and mm. I'm, I have the time and not stressed out to like answer and actually build in a thoughtful way. So yeah. that really helped my stress level, but definitely got to get another hobby. Maybe I'll try martial arts. Yeah. <laughs> and I, I mean, the, 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 well, that was a podcast answer. I mean, the, the, the truth is like I haven't done martial arts in like a year. It's also been a good year, so I don't need it as much. I don't want like, you to do martial arts. No. I don't want a bear market. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But yeah, no, I because like I had a I had a martial arts studio like walking distance from my place. The guy was the he he used to fight with like Bruce Lee. Like they were like best buddies. Oh my then God. in the Santa's like we like did sword fighting and stuff like that. I'm glad you know? we're friends. Yeah, <laughs> I, I can. I, it's, that's how I keep my key safe, you know. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but um, Felix is violent. Do not come for his keys. <laughs> There's a dark side. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, I can do, do I can do Batman voice with this. Um, <laughs> before we rotate to like some later stages, where like you know like today, which I think we're getting close to. Um, one more question that I that came out of what you just talked about was. Uh, how do you keep incentivizing builders and and looking at that from a token supply perspective? Because we come early days, Bitcoin set the standard, everybody loved Austrian economics. Then we went the exact opposite end with DeFi where we said like a thousand percent APY, let's fucking go, right? <laughs> and like, you know, fake it till you make it essentially like we broke the chicken in the egg, but now we're paying the price. Um, Obviously, you know, like you can plan in a team allocation, but after three or four years, at some point it's spent and yeah. the work doesn't end three or four years later, right? So how do you keep like, for example, that operator that's gonna take over after the founding team leaves when there's predetermined token supplies? It's a really good question. And I mean, I think most projects do not spend enough time after their initial raise or mm-hmm. initial capital event on this. And I call it out for them all the time because mm-hmm. Remember, it's not just initial capital raise, exit to community or yeah. IPO or something, right? It, it doesn't, yeah, it doesn't work like that. Like yeah. you're hiring, you know, hundreds of people. I mean, maybe thousands, assuming turnover. <laughs> you're also, you know, reducing some people's incentives, getting that equity or tokens back, giving it to other people. And it, it, you really need a solid plan on how you're going to build out your cap table or your token cap table over time. Right, so having your initial founders is great, but you on on one end of the spectrum, you want to make sure those founders are are obviously happy with their financial exit when right. the time comes. You know, if they own ten percent today, are they going to own half percent or percent down the line? That's really worth keeping in mind because if you're hiring tens or hundreds of people, and I, when I say hiring, I mean more so like giving tokens to community members right. and stuff yep. like that. You know, that's great, but doing that just to do it is dumb because. You could spend all the money in the world, but at the end of the day, if you don't own any of it, what are you doing? What's the point, right? right. Why are you spending 18 to 20 hours a day to build that? And I think that's a huge, um, honestly, just a waste, right? I mean, you should want to give incentives to the right people, but you know, be mindful of you know the percent that you give is obviously opposite of the value of the project going up. So mm-hmm. you know, you're giving different percents out at you know 100 mil versus a billion, you yeah. know, et cetera. So. I just think you need a really good plan to make sure people are incentivized. And eventually I think the community will take over with like coordinate and stuff like that. Yeah. And and also I think Wi-Fi was an early example. Like token models are not always set in stone. Initially I think it was supposed to be 10,000 and they were like, we don't feel incentivized enough. Here's a proposal, you know? And basically the community just said yes, right? Because, yeah. you know, why wouldn't they say yes, right? It's the core team killing themselves yep. all day long and they're 
you know, the people that are saying yes or no are the holders of the token who are now rich. Like, of course, they're going to say yes, because obviously the investors want their project to grow. But in yep. reality, the real reason they said yes is because there's no liquidity to exit if they say no, because the founders leave and the project fails. Right. So, yeah, you, you really got to be mindful of that. But I mean, it, it gets harder as you're a public token, right? Nobody is printing Ethereum to give to the core devs sure. to yep. build, right? And that sucks because, you know, Ryan Zer said this in a tweet a couple of days ago, um, dialectic, like these core devs are professional athletes, mm. right? They should be paid as such. And he's totally right. Yep. We should be paying these devs insane amounts of money. It is so hard to hire a developer. And listen, I think that's the primary reason why Bitcoin is struggling. Yeah, I mean, there's, there's just not enough design space to build. I mean, from a fundamental like point of view, right? Which is tough. But even from a funding, you know, because because Bitcoiners hate additional tokens. Yeah. S somehow explain to me how stacks work. You know, like <laughs> there's a token there. You know, sovereign has a token. But like most Bitcoiners say, we like anything other than Bitcoin is a scam, right? So you can't raise money. At the same time, the tech better be decentralized, right? Yeah. Otherwise, decentralized companies. So like. What is it like? Is it charity based, right? It doesn't. I mean, it. Bitcoin is a hard dynamic mm. because there's such low design space to build on mm -hmm. Bitcoin, given, and that's a feature, right? You yep. don't want to have a big design space because you want it to be very secure. Yeah. Right. Ethereum is the opposite of all that. Well, it's very secure now, but it was the opposite. It's very yep. programmable. But Bitcoin's community got so like pigeonholed because of these restrictions, right? Mm -hmm. Because of the inability to build on it, they formed things like maximalism, mm. right? On the on the social side. And then on the other side of this, they formed giant equity-based companies around it, like mm. Blockstream and things yep. like that, and Lightning Labs. And you know, I'm sure they're all doing great work, mm -hmm. but I have never used Lightning Labs. I Correct. have never used Blockstream. Or had friends, you know, like the, the cool thing, the, you know, maybe we can talk about NFTs a little bit later, although that's probably like a whole nother hole, but NFTs were, for example, one of the first things I saw normie friends, you know, like they're like, oh yeah, you know, I, I, got, I got an ape or I got some, you know, whatever NFT, I got a MetaMask. Yeah. Most shocking thing that all of a sudden normies have MetaMasks, right? But I, like you said, I've never come across, oh yeah, I paid with this with Lightning. It, you know, they never do. And I mean, you brought up NFTs and I mean, like when you, Talk to somebody outside the space mm -hmm. and you give them the comparison, right? Yep. You say, hey, you know what? On Bitcoin, you could kind of use this thing, Lightning Labs, for payments, but it doesn't really work and it's a bitch to set mm -hmm. up. Or on the other side of this, you can say, hey, you know what? Starkware on Ethereum is powering Immutable and DYDX <clears> and it just works. Yep. And you can go and use it today, right? And when you tell people that, of course they're going to pick this one. They don't yep. care about the maximalist arguments, they don't care about the history. Yep. All they wanna do is use something and have fun. Yep. And that's what they do. And you know, the NFT side you brought up is, is interesting. And there's a lot of projects we could probably chat about there yeah. too. Yeah, and also I think people forget that, I think there's multiple features that the, the crypto space brings. Decentralization I think is one of them. Composability I think is also huge, right? So, um, and, and, and that, because like ultimately like, you know, what composability brought to the table is that I could take any asset and I can engage with any, uh, any let's for simple terms, programs, mm -hmm. right? And those programs can interact with each other. It's like if in, in the Web2 world, if you you can like, you know, make plugins from your, your Amazon to your Apple to this and that, you can move a movie that you buy on, um, let's say Amazon over to Apple. Um, and then you could, 
put it into your bank and collateralize it as a loan. Yep. <laughs> you know? well, well, I mean, you're right. Like, you know, we talked about how MakerDAO was, you know, one of the first DeFi projects. Mm -hmm. I mean, using DAI in like say Compound Arave for borrowing and lending mm -hmm. and then using it to trade on Uniswap, given it's all the pools, well it was, like that was like the first, you know, financial composability. Yeah. But to your point, I mean, the inter-app composability yeah. is also one thing. And I mean, now we're at cross-chain composability yeah. with like ThorChain and Layer Zero. And I mean, we're soon getting to like, you know, the whole, not composability with NFTs, but like the ability to do things that people didn't realize. Like, right. If you go on YouTube, people hate, like traditional gamers hate NFTs. Mm -hmm. Like they despise them, yeah. right? They don't want to talk about it. They think it's a cash grab. Mm -hmm. And then when you sit down with them and you say, you know what, that $1,000 you spent on Fortnite V-Bucks, well, that stuff you can actually sell in a crypto world. Yep. You could lend that out. You can give it to somebody, their eyes light up and they're like, yeah. whoa. And like, it's also like an education thing, I think, but that's kind of out of the uh, scope of the composability question. Yeah, yeah. no, no, and, and, and I love that. Cause like that, now that we are, we're investing more and more to gaming, like traditional gaming and VR and AR. And so that conversation comes up a lot where they're like, you know, maybe the founder said, I can see how NFTs could work here, but our audience might hate it, right? And and that's a key point, right? Like one of our founders, uh, Brooks Brown of NOR, mm -hmm. who um, previously called Eternal Return, he was one of our disruptors guests early on. Mm -hmm. I mean, he has a big thing where he doesn't want to mess with that magic circle of the players, right? Mm -hmm. He wants them to be you know, unfettered in their ability to compete with each other purely on a skill-based basis, mm -hmm. right? And instead of having a token or an NFT involved there, or, or not a, a token involved there, you could basically monetize the outside. Mm -hmm. So, you know, you have the stadium, picture the stadium as the magic circle, me versus Felix yep. doing martial arts sword fighting, leveling <laughs> up. But, you know, you can't buy a good sword and I can't, right? We yeah. play on skill, but outside that stadium, we could buy hot dogs and that's how you drive mm. revenue and things like that. Like monetize all the ancillary things. And I'm probably botching his great vision, but like, you know. Just don't make it yeah. play to win, essentially. You know, exactly. keep it a, a level playing field, a meritocracy, so to say. I don't think there's anything wrong with play to earn long term. Like, it's just a space to innovate, yeah. continue to tweak, modify, and grow. But all I'm trying to say is, like, even within gaming on the crypto side, there mm. are so many views from projects that might be more aligned with the traditional world mm. of the gaming side as well. How especially as one of the guys that helped write the Axie token model. What's your what's your perspective on the future of play to earn from a sustainability perspective? Now, I'm I don't hold Axie. I may have sorted once before. <laughs> um but I you know lots of short sales probably have gotten wrecked that way. Um you know, one of the concerns that I've seen, for example, play out big time on, let's say, other play-to-earn games, CryptoPlays is an example that we also lost some money on, right? With the, like they over-incentivized, right? Crazy user numbers, number one on like the DAP rate and whatnot, yeah. you know? And then at some point they ran out of tokens, crash, right? Yep. SLP has been pleading a bit, you know, they've been making up for it with like, you know, Ronin and coming up with, you know, new things that generate value. Um, how does one create like how does one create an ecosystem where it generally is play to earn where people can make money but ultimately it's sustainable because the money has to come from somewhere yeah it, it definitely has to come from somewhere i mean i didn't write the axi paper but i am very bullish on their community and mm. figuring it out i mean this is a community that has basically spearheaded play to earn gaming to the entire world mm. and brought uh, basically a country out of poverty yeah. right i mean the work that they've done is incredible so I'm very bullish on projects like Axie, and obviously we hold a lot mm -hmm. of it, um, to be successful in the long term 
because of not only what they've done, but because of the team and the community that they have to innovate on it. My partners, uh, MJ and Coley V, who's in Delphi, I remember them like just nerding out on that yeah. all night and finding you know the sellers, and it was exciting. And I mean, the money at the time was a lot. It was 159,000, yeah. which was a lot back then. Still is obviously, yeah. but I mean, to buy like digital battle pets back yeah. then for that much money, while it was completely unproven, was was a big deal. Especially I, yeah. because this was before the big NFT rally. This was before Bored Apes and CryptoPunks became like limelight with celebrities and whatnot. Yeah, I mean, it's still, I mean, it's still the case, right? Yeah. Like a project that I'm personally super big on and Delphi is very aligned with and invested ASM. in is alter ASM. You know, I pay it. attention. <laughs> you do, man. And I mean, you know, we spent an inordinate amount of time yeah. running scripts for every ASM brain mm. manually. Uh, my girlfriend almost killed me that night yeah. to find the rarest <laughs> brains we could. And, you know, we found well, the top congrats 10. Congrats on still having one. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, it, she, she's a good one. But I mean, you know, finding the top 10 IQ brains, yeah. trying to link, you know, discords with OpenSea addresses and seeing who owns what. Mm. Eventually, we bought the second highest IQ brain for ASM. Um, I bought a bunch personally, obviously. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, that just made a lot of sense. I mean, that's an NFT, but, you know, it's very different from, uh, you know, other play to earn games, right? Because yep. ASM really isn't play to earn. The way it works is you have a brain, which is an NFT, mm -hmm. and you have these players, AFA All Stars. Mm -hmm. And the idea is you link a player with a brain, they go online and they play soccer against each other. Mm -hmm. So me and Aaron, the founder, who I'm going to completely destroy his own mm -hmm. game, I'm excited. <laughs> if he's listening, I hope he is. Um, we're you know we're gonna battle my team versus team. Okay. But the cool part is the players are NFTs, the mm -hmm. brains are NFTs, but the brain can be trained and learn over time. So you mm -hmm. play the game and you learn, or you you know hyperspeed in a gym like mm -hmm. the AI stuff we all think about. But the thing to remember is the brain NFT is just a key to a model on IPFS. So it's a key to that specific um, AI model mm -hmm. stored in a decentralized way, and the use case for that sounds buzzwordy as hell. Mm -hmm. I was initially like, there's no way. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I spent, and we all spent at Delphi, an insane amount of time to understand the AI side, to grill their engineers. And we came away extremely bullish. So we invested in the seed, we invested in the latest round, we bought the rarest, one of the rarest brains, I bought a team, a boss player. Like we got so uh, interested in it because the ideas for what you can use for an AI NFT are huge. Mm -hmm. I mean, a Delphi chatbot that we feed all of our reports and podcasts to, and hopefully some uh, Hartman Cat podcast, and own that as an NFT and license it out or have people interact with it, that's like one small use case. Mm -hmm. I mean, think about Grand Theft Auto, mm -hmm. right? You have all these dumb computer players all over the place. Yep. What if you had AI players as NFTs that can learn and grow, right? Wow, what if you yeah. had a NFT all-star that followed you around as a helper through the metaverse to mm -hmm. point you in the right direction? Like the opportunity for things like that are huge, but you know, it's going to take time for that stuff to play out. Right. Um, I mean, they're doing their LBA right now, but it's exciting to see like innovative AI NFT projects that aren't buzzwordy. Mm -hmm. And it's, it's just exciting to see because it's like a new era of the NFT space because a lot of it was useless paintings and JPEGs. <laughs> it, it, it is funny because, you know, we, we, we both have been through a cycle before and there are patterns to these cycles where, you know, I, I just started a metaverse fund, but I will admit that some parts of metaverse and NFT have reminiscent patterns to, let's say, ICOs in 2017, heavy on buzzwords, and intellectual honesty says we're still a few years away. Now, the good news is with venture, 
it takes five years anyway, right? Yeah. So in my eyes, it's a great time to allocate over the next, let's say, 12 to 18 months, because like if things, if the metaverse space cools down, it mm -hmm. means better valuations, less clowns out there, you know, being founders. Yeah. Um, so I think it's a great time to allocate, but at the same time, how long do you think it takes, like, first of all, what is your vision of the metaverse and how long do you think it takes for us to get there? Yeah, I, I want to go back to your last point, like on how history rhymes. Mm -hmm. I mean, it does, right? Mm -hmm. When we bought the Axie NFTs, we bought them because they had real utility, because mm -hmm. they were rare, because we spent a lot of time to understand. Mm -hmm. ASM on that side is no different, right? Mm -hmm. The brains have real utility. Yeah. We're not out there aping Fidenzas or CryptoPunks because <laughs> we don't think they have any utility, Yeah. right? I mean, do CryptoPunks and Fidenzas have social clout and can generative art have a place in the world? Yeah. Absolutely, I own a bunch of it. Yeah. I'm just more bullish on NFTs with utility. Right, but which is very similar to what you guys are doing with DeFi and whatnot. You know, you, we're looking for the things that generate value that have value versus, you know, similar, like the Fidenza might be a Bitcoin where it's like, you know, can it have value? Sure, but I don't know how to measure it. Yeah, agreed. And I frankly love squiggles and art blocks and yeah. all that stuff. It's <laughs> super cool to like press mint, have a code run, and then have the outputted art, right? Mm -hmm. Like that's super cool. but. Um, to your point, it's just more fun having stuff you can use. Mm -hmm. um, I forgot your question. <laughs> the question um, afterwards was um, because it goes in cycles, it probably is going to take longer. How long do you, th well, before we, that, what does the metaverse look like to you, like vision wise? And then how long does it take to play out? Yeah, my, my partner Piers will probably kill me on this, but <laughs> he has a much well formed out thesis. But I mean, to me, the metaverse is just the next iteration of gaming and how we interact with the world, mm -hmm. right? You know, instead of sitting here in a studio, we're completely in VR all the time. Mm -hmm. That's where our value is and that's where our friends are, mm -hmm. right? Like I recently got an Oculus and I love playing ping pong, mm -hmm. but like, I'm not gonna use it all day, right? Yeah, like yeah, I yeah. use it for five minutes and I take it off and I go back to yeah. my computer, right? I don't think we're there yet. I think it'll take a couple of years to get there. Mm -hmm. I mean, remember gaming timelines are, are hard, right? Mm -hmm. DeFi is like token economically like, complicated mm -hmm. and I think that's why people like NFTs and DAOs because it's like simpler like yep. hey I own a CryptoPunk it's not what the hell is an LP pool or V3 Correct. on uni but you know massive AAA rated games in crypto are still not here no. and yeah. then to think that we're going to be in like a crypto VR metaverse anytime soon is kind of hard so I think we're getting there we've made a lot of bets here mm -hmm. and it is the perfect time to invest in this stuff yeah. so congrats on the gaming fund launching it's a perfect time but I do think we're a little ways out just because it takes so long to build these games. Mm. But on the flips and on the flip side, it's also hard or what we've seen, it's hard to convince traditional game devs, just like it is to convince traditional players, yeah. to come to earn a token and to build a crypto related gaming project. Yeah. So some of the teams we talk to just have trouble finding devs, which makes the timelines even harder. And then you gotta complicate that or with the dependency of you know, them having a viable L2 or L1 to launch on, mm. which is also, you know, gets a little dicey as well. That's one area where I still haven't come to the right, like, I guess it's a philosophical debate where I'm trying to find out what the right answer is. When I used to pitch people D5, they would say, why would the 20 year olds know better than the bankers how to build this? The bankers <laughs> will ultimately build better D5. This is all just games, right? Yeah. Now, I'm making a similar statement. I'm I'm carrying a similar thesis, but in reverse this time, where I say, I don't think that the crypto game this will build a good game. 
I see traditional gamers, game developers build great games first and then you can tokenize. But then I catch myself like, am I saying the same shit that I, people used to say about banks and DeFi? It's tough. It, it is tough. I mean, the thing I will say though is, you know, some of the game devs are young guys that I think will move over to crypto mm -hmm. and get it and they already have. Mm -hmm. You know, some of the, you know, world's leading game designers are in crypto, mm -hmm. right? You know, Kent Byers from Civitas, we mentioned Brooks from Eternal Return. Um, the BreederDAO team is stacked. I mean, like, the teams in crypto building games are extremely smart. And mm. these guys have a lot of knowledge, but it starts at a, to your point, a builder leader vision, right? Mm -hmm. What game are you gonna build for the metaverse? Why is it important? And then that will attract the game devs over. Mm -hmm. and, and how do you see a token play into games? NFTs play in a game super easily. Okay. Tokens do too. I mean, at the end of the day, you're building an in-game economy. Mm -hmm. And I mean, having a token that underpins that is, you know, pretty simple because you have the utility of the gamers. Mm -hmm. I mean, are you, you know, look at something like as complicated as EVE Online, mm -hmm. which is a super popular game, which yep. has one of the most dynamic and complicated economies ever built. I yep. mean, there are scenarios that have played out there like where people have spent months building ships for, you know, one person to take it over and destroy it. Or, mm -hmm. you know, there's battles that have lasted, you know, I think days. I forgot how long the longest battle was. It was either 18 hours or a couple of days. Wow. But, you know, the world that they've built out and the economy that they built out mm -hmm. in a traditional game is wild. Mm -hmm. Now imagine if you had an in-game currency to underpin that. That would, one, make a ton of sense. It's, if it's as simple as a tax or taking a fee for usage on whatever, that's one thing. But using it on the other side to fuel growth is incredible. Mm -hmm. You know, EVE Online can't give out dollars unless they have them, Correct. right? You know, the next version of EVE Online or, or, you know, if they were to launch a game, hypothetically speaking, or if so, or other metaverse games mm -hmm. do, they have a token that they can give out to incentivize growth that will. Correct, um, and it's almost structured as a DAO versus the Evil Online company. Exactly. Gotcha, that's awesome. Let's roll through the conversation a little bit. Um, I, I, I got two more points that I wanna get over because I, ooh, we've been going for a while. I, I love it. wanna make sure you don't, you're not getting tired. <laughs> I'm fine, let's awesome. do it. Awesome, <laughs> let's keep going then. Because uh, honestly, this is a very deep well we're digging here, and I think there's there might be room for like you know a second episode at some I'm point. I'm across the street. I'm down. My man, my <laughs> man, glad to have you, in Miami. So, um, you know, people might listen to this. Uh, you know, some of my LPs listen. I got some. You know, older gentlemen from like the TradFi world, and they might see two young guys here. You know, that probably haven't worn a suit in God knows how long, which is for black <laughs> T-shirts. You know, and the question sometimes comes. You know. Five years ago, 10 years ago, we still lived in a very Silicon Valley centric environment where like, how do you get deal flow? You have an established name, you live in Silicon Valley, that's where you meet the founders. Now we've w went into a really decentralized world mm -hmm. where at least for me, most of our meetings happen on Zoom. You know, yeah. sometimes I have like 10 meetings on Zoom. We, you know, for background too, you know, we probably started connecting in 2018, latest yeah. 2019. We never met IRL until Bitcoin Miami last year. So yep. it was like three years. I remember we hugged for like, you know, a minute or something like that. It was a long yeah. time. It was a long time. Because <laughs> <laughs> I was like, holy shit, that's you, right? It was, it was cool to finally meet. Yeah. yeah. And, and, and so the, 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 the point I'm, I'm getting at now is that Silicon Valley, in my eyes, has shifted over into crypto Twitter in a way. Yeah. Where the place you make connections is now digital first, mm -hmm. right? And I also start realizing that when I look through my life, the relationships I have, most relationships started digital first. I didn't meet them in an elevator, in the store, or at work or somewhere. I usually met them 
on Twitter, on Instagram somewhere. And then we made an IRL connection. So the way I look is like, you know, if this is base reality, this is digital world, metaverse 1.0, Twitter and stuff like that. We meet them through here and then we connect in real life. Agreed. And it's a total shift. And, you know, the what you're describing is the difference between, you know, older generations and, and newer and how mm -hmm. we interact, you know, back then and how we interact now. Mm -hmm. And the one, you know, caveat I'll give here is when I first started in crypto, you know, I wanted these rich traditional people's money mm -hmm. to manage, right? I wanted, you know, the pension funds to move into yep. crypto. I wanted to sell Bain Capital or whatever yeah. on a project they should invest in. And I wanted to link them to major banks. Mm -hmm. I could not care less. Mm -hmm. I do not care about any traditional bank. Yeah. I don't care about convincing a 50, 60, 70 year old person about crypto. Mm -hmm. It's just not a good use of time. Mm -hmm. You know, those older generations do not know how to work within crypto. And I hate to say that, but it's just how mm -hmm. it is. Like, it's a total shift. It's not who you know anymore. It's mm -hmm. not, oh, you know, I'm an investor in this and they're gonna have the best access. That's well, proven I will say, wrong. I think it is who you know, but it, it's kind of digital first. I mean, look. You're at, right. Yeah, yeah. Digital I mean, first. So you if, know. if I yeah. if I talk to teams, they they all they all be happy and dying to have Delphi. No, no. You're, you're right. I meant more so that the boomer side of it, where they're sitting in a Silicon Valley office yeah. and they're saying, "Hey, you know, I know this guy. He's gonna start something big." Mm -hmm. It's knowing the builders and right. knowing the grassroots community that's important, right? Right. Like, and the the thing that I hate about this is. The older generations have so much wisdom. Mm -hmm. They are the smartest people in the world that have mm -hmm. done everything we've done multiple times. Mm -hmm. Instead of it being a combative older generation versus younger, come into the space. Yeah. You know, lean into it mm -hmm. and figure out where you could provide value because mm -hmm. it's 20 year olds running around with no world experience who mm -hmm. barely went to college. <laughs> I mean, having the wisdom and, and knowledge of somebody who's been through this stuff yeah. is extremely helpful. But trying to pigeonhole Web3 or DeFi into Web2 and TradFi models mm -hmm. is the ultimate red flag. Mm -hmm. And it's got to be a conversion in people's mind or it's not going to work. Right. Well, well, it's that aspect. And also, you know, um, kind of like the, the, the original direction for the question, too, was for VCs. You know, it's all about, you know, getting access. How do you find the deals? Yeah. And um, I remember I was at it was actually your event. You threw a party in New York. It was Masari. And I don't know how we came to the, to, the, to the conversation, but you said one line that stuck with me. And you said, people will never turn down a podcast and people will never turn down a party. <laughs> so the first one is my claim to fame. The second one is my partner, Niels. All right. <laughs> yeah. So the, the first one I got because I started a podcast four years ago because mm -hmm. I had no network. And yep. who the hell says no to a podcast? Yeah. Uh, Neil had the party side because he's totally right. No one says no to a party. <laughs> yeah. So it, it worked. And, and, and so because people might look at crypto and they say, like, for example, next week is Bitcoin Miami, which yeah. always has a lot of events. And it's like, you know, crypto is like, you know, partying. It's like it's a bubble and whatnot. But the reality is it's a new in, in a digital first world where we see each other every day as avatars. Right. And we, we know each other. We've I've got, you know, a good relationship with you. I've got a relationship with people like, let's say, Daryl from the fines. So I've never met I, IRL, you know, love Daryl. But um, but then, you know, the few times we see each other, you know, it's expressed differently, like, for example, parties like you. We don't need to talk about, yeah. you know, work, so to say. And so the the i guess the the valuable question that comes for like for let's say listeners you're brand new to the space i sometimes get this from analysts right they're they're brand new to the space and they need to build network and connection how like how do you get act like because network connection is a source of deals for example as a vc yeah. right 
how do you first get started in like you know building that kind of network where either deals come to you or in the reverse people want to work with you because it's, it's so oversubscribed it's a great question and it it goes back to not networking mm -hmm. right don't network don't try and get a call with felix mm -hmm. right or his analyst or associate mm -hmm. right focus on building your specific concentrated knowledge on what you're good at mm -hmm. right and let's say that's well you know we'll use a broad basket here and just yep. say gaming let's say that person comes into the space researches all the gaming plays starts to form their own opinions mm -hmm. their own ideas then when they come to you mm -hmm. you're going to love that conversation because right. you're going to say you know what tell me what's wrong with my three portfolio companies here 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 and yep. what we should improve and tell me what i'm not looking at they're going to have answers for you if they come out of the gate and they say oh man i close the convo with felix can't wait to meet him at a coffee shop you show up and you say hey how are you and they say great hire me what's the point right so i think it goes back to just building your own knowledge and your own voice and eventually mm -hmm. people will come to you for that right and i think we're building building the voice and, and voicing it you know i think one of the the weirdest tactics that has worked so well and that's how you know palm blew up to a degree threads right so good dude threads like you i tell my analysts like you know after you know you do your research on something you pitch the ic always fill before you show you know like we, 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 buy, <laughs> we buy what we need to buy but then like you know don't let that great piece of research go to waste. You know, like yeah. write a thread about it, like, you know, educate the masses. And that way you can build a little bit of brand too, where people see like, hey, this guy says smart things. It's something, somebody I want to, somebody I would like to get to know, like work with, talk to, right? And then maybe you jump on a Zoom call, you, you, you talk with each other more. And then when you do meet in real life, like for example, at your the, the most glorious parties in crypto, <laughs> sponsored by Delphi, which is slowly becoming an events company. <laughs> <laughs> That's actually uh, kind of funny. Yeah. It's true. <laughs> you, you you can then just like you know build that real relationship because I think one of the and this is I God there's so much great things to talk about you with. I was gonna say you know as we go more into a digital first world, the relationship building has is tricky for example with firms i know you have 105 people i would assume they're fully remote do you have an office i mean we do in new york but and yeah. singapore or not singapore but all over but we don't really use them <laughs> right so without going too prod but like i maybe in in a sentence to you know how do you build culture that's a really good question um i mean it's a lot of it starts at the top i mean mm -hmm. right it's us every day like instilling what we think is important and what we don't think is important mm -hmm. right we opened the podcast and you brought up a good point. Like Delphi didn't accept those nice consulting checks from sketchy companies, yep. right? Analysts, you know, new hires, they weren't around for that. Yeah. Like how are they supposed to know that? And they know that because, you know, we tell them the story, but it's it's a day to day thing, right? Mm -hmm. It's don't do this, do that. But and it's not so much also building Delphi, but it's also building their personal brands. Yeah. Right. Like, you know, I don't do the crazy threads I used to. I don't write <laughs> reports anymore, right? I, I'm not there anymore, but my job is Crypto to make retired. sure that I know I yeah. see I see your Instagram <laughs> story. I wish, but um, I mean, the goal is to make them famous, yeah. right? To give them what you just called the voice, right? Mm -hmm. And that's our job is to make sure that they're, you know, valuable and known and acknowledged so that mm -hmm. deals come to them and projects come to them and they go to projects. So that's, that's the goal. But I mean, instilling a, a brand is a day to day thing. I mean, it's as casual as how you reply to somebody in a telegram text to a problem they're having and mm -hmm. them seeing your thought process all the way to, you know, just having fun as people at a party with them. Yeah. Right. How, 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 how do you keep them? Cause I, I've, I've noticed crypto companies have a huge problem with attrition, mostly because in a great, like in, in a bad year, let's say like 2018 layoffs in a great year, like 2021, people make way too much money. And then they say like, I'm gonna start my own fund. I'm a retire. I'm a start a DAO. 
somebody within Delphi came to me and wanted to start a fund, I would ask if we could be their LP. I mean, that's, that's like, if they want to start a project, you know, pitch me, let's go, mm -hmm. let's start it, right? I think it's not, um, not closing off that intellectual curiosity, right? So, you know, letting people build what they want to build, mm -hmm. right? And we have, you know, glorious examples of that, right? Like our partners, Jose and Luke have, you know, built an insane labs division, which started as our consulting side mm -hmm. on Terra and Solana and, yep. and being key contributors to projects there like Mars and Astroport. Yeah. But, you know, the other thing is incentives, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, you can't be greedy if you're trying to retain talent. Yeah. Um, I mean, you have to incentivize people and pay them extremely well. Mm -hmm. And I don't just mean that to keep them, granted it should be based on their performance and mm -hmm. their value, but it also becomes like, what do you, you know, why be so greedy? Like I talked to some funds for with TradFi founders and they're like, mm -hmm. oh, you know, we're gonna pay someone X salary and give them Y percent based on traditional metrics. And I'm like, man, it's not the traditional world. These guys yeah. are making more in their PAs yeah, yeah. And then they are, and that's a perk of the job. Like being involved in a fund or a community where they can learn so much to do well in the PA is a side benefit, I think, that, that also helps a lot. Right. Before I go to Prague, because I think there's so many, so many incredible things I want to cover with you, but we, I think there's, there's always an option for, it, for round two. So before we wrap it up, I've got two, two more questions. One, crypto theses. We finally get to that part. You know, what, what is something that, excites you right now what do you th what's something that you think is investable that maybe you know we're still early on that you look forward to yeah i mean the asm side is really taking up mm -hmm. a good a good amount of my interest right now i mean that is just a foundational shift in what nfts are mm -hmm. what ai is and yep. then the interplay with the native token um the other thing that they've done really well is just you know, just like Tokamak did years ago, mm. is create a viral community of people that just love it, yeah. right? I mean, that is so key. Like, you either have to create a viral community that loves it or have a founder that is viral. Like mm -hmm. Andy from Fractional is a project, a founder we invested in a while ago to fractionalize NFTs. And it's kind of funny because the guy is so active and so funny on Twitter. Like, it's how's this guy working all day? I but, know. I think I, just today he made a joke that yeah. uh, there's more music NFT platforms than music NFTs. <laughs> <laughs> it's it's funny, and then I see his like, you know, comments with his with Ali, who yeah. I think is his girlfriend, maybe yeah. fiance. I've not updated, but um, their back and forth is just hilarious. Mm -hmm. I, I'm, maybe Andy has access to her account. I don't know. I'm going <laughs> to ask him someday. But I mean, you know, building the community side is also very big, mm -hmm. but. Um, my take is that, you know, I've had a lot of theses over the years. Mm -hmm. um, I think one of the important ones that we hit on is um, the cross-chain building of the space really taking off. So mm -hmm. building beyond Ethereum is is in the bag now. It's happening. I mean, yeah. building on Solana, building on Terra, now building on L2s like Starkware, Arbitrum, mm -hmm. ZK Sync, all those, and then even shifting to new paradigms like Celestia where you separate... Um, data execution and consensus, right? You know, mm -hmm. you just have a dumb kind of ordering on Celestia and you have off-chain execution environments. That's a totally different architecture than a monolithic one. And Can at Delphi has, has spearheaded our knowledge there. But, you know, being open to new architectures yeah. and new chains and the L2 side, I think is gonna be really important for the next year. 100%, 100% I agree with this because anytime I catch myself too, you know, fixed in my beliefs you know when the maximalism creeps in and that's not that's not just with bitcoin that's like you know there 
there's ETH maximalists, yep. right? That will say like anything that's not L1 is, is it's BS, right? And same thing goes with NFTs. You know, I, 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 I think I've said this on the podcast like a number of times at this point, but <laughs> um, in crypto, almost anything great initially sounds scammy, uh, right? Yeah. And, and you're, you're, it's so funny and ironic that you bring up ETH maximalism, mm -hmm. right? I love Ethereum's community, yeah. right? I, I, like I was full ETH for yeah. so long, but like ETH started because of Bitcoin maximalism. Yeah. And to see ETH maximalism, I just shake my head. I'm like, man, like, like history really rhymes. <laughs> right. And you know, the OG maximalist, Peter Schiff, right? Like yep. <laughs> he always reminds yourself, you are turning into Peter Schiff day by day, right? I, I hate to see it. I mean, there is a lot going on with ETH and it's fantastic. Yeah. And there's a lot of L2s popping up and taking off, whatever. But there's so much going on in mm -hmm. other chains with seriously smart and creative people. Right. And in this forest of L1s and like, you know, ETH competitors or whatever you will call it, how do you filter for quality? Because there's a there's there's little differentiation between some of them. And then also the projects built on top. Sometimes they're I mean, a lot of times they're just forks or fairly similar copies of products that already exist. It's a really good point. I mean, you have to have a foundational thesis on why the L1 or the L2 makes mm -hmm. sense. If you are then investing on something built on the L2, you also have to have a foundational, foundational mm -hmm. thesis on why the L1 under it exists, so it gets a little more complicated. Mm -hmm. But I, I think you need to have that understanding of why you're investing on something on the L1 or L2, and then you have to understand if it's a copy, why is it going to work here and it didn't mm. work there, right? Like, um, you know, Terra is a great example. Like, it's crushing MakerDAO and Die on ETH because there's actual use for yep. the token and it makes sense, right? Like, you have things like Anchor. You have a dynamic to stabilize the price between the governance token and the stable token mm -hmm. that also makes sense, right? Yep. And obviously now you have Bitcoin reserves as well. But that type of growth makes sense. Mm -hmm. Like Terra's growth is driven by the demand for the stablecoin. Mm -hmm. MakerDAO's growth was only driven for demand for um, leverage, right? Yep. You know, so like that differentiation from like a foundational thesis is why projects building on Terra are doing so well mm -hmm. and why nobody uses DAI and everybody uses USDC on Ethereum, yep. right? Like that kind of dichotomy is, is big, but once you nail the foundational thesis, investing on top is relatively easy, easy yeah. <laughs> yeah that's a, you pretty much you, you got to find your well which is the you know like a really strong layer one because it generally attracts good builders too you know like yeah. it's there's there's countless we're not going to throw any of them under the bus but well easy one would be bsc for example oh, you know God, so easy, easy, it's a funny we once uh when when the metaverse uh theme started playing out we built a basket and i think in our basket maybe we had 15 tokens right 12 of them did maybe 4x 5x mm -hmm. three of them lost 80 to 95 percent you know the common thread between those three <laughs> bsc bsc <laughs> there was like a month there where people thought bsc and i even started coming around to it i'm like all right the binance integration i was yeah. like cz and then i was like oh god maybe not <laughs> yeah well i think it was the, it was the first chain other than ethereum that got any traction because like it was bsc then polygon came me like you know bsc was like january 2021 Polygon was like maybe March, April, 2021, stole a lot of traction from yeah. BSC. And then there was no shortage of it. I mean, in Phantom Harmony, Avex, Solana, you name it. Jesus. Yeah, yeah but, the, but the thing that, you know, made, I guess, like Luna stand out was that, you know, Anchor was unique. Mirror, even though it's not really being used, is unique, you know. On Cosmos, you've got, you know, Akash is super unique. Secret is really unique. Um, Osmosis, insane liquidity, yep. you know. 
Um, so that at least when there's good founders building interesting stuff that's new, that lends a lot of value, I think, to all one too. Agreed. Yeah, I totally agree with you. And it's just, you know, if the founder's building something that innovative, mm -hmm. they also have a really strong, you know, personal thesis on why they're building on that L1 to begin right. with. Too. Sometimes that's an access thing. I get it. Mm -hmm. Like you're you're trying to build something so early. Um, you know, people might love Celestia. We mm -hmm. love Celestia. But like you can't deploy on it yet. It's not live yet. Gotcha. Right? Like so, you know, that's one thing. Like Starkware is one of the leading L2s in the mm -hmm. space. Um, but you know, you need to have knowledge of Cairo. Like you need yeah. to be able to deploy in that manner. And it's not hard to learn Cairo, but everyone knows Solidity, right? Yeah. So it's, yeah, so it's, it's, and I'm not, I'm probably wrong on the dev stuff here, but <laughs> you know, you have to have that knowledge to move over and a real foundational opinion on what you're doing. Yeah. To wrap it up, I got one more bigger personal and philosophical question. Oh God. You, I mean, we, you know, we started off this conversation with your background. You started like, you know, with Oppenheimer, you left TradFi, you took a plunge and you started as a blog essentially, you know, selling $25 subscriptions, joined Delphi, you know, started ventures, initially no success raising money. You pulled it together with a million dollars, crew that many, many fold. There's, uh, there's an, a podcast with Jan where he shows the number. I'm not gonna say it, but it's a big <laughs> number. It's a big number. These boys make good money. And not just not just the money, but you also help build incredible products. Your team is 105 people now. You're more an up, like you say yourself, a generalist, an operator now, where you 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 let you help build other rock stars. You you're not trying to be the rock star yourself all the time. Also, that you are you are you are 100% a rock star. <laughs> Thank you, my dude. So now you're the stage which most people see that kind of evolution over the span of an entire lifetime, like two decades perhaps. You know, founding a firm. You did that in two or three years. So, you know, what keeps you driven at this point and kind of what, what do you see is next for you? Because you're still really fucking young. Both of us are, and there's so much to come. So what's, what, what is it for you? Jesus, man, I, I hope me and you don't close up shop. It's so much fun. <laughs> Jesus, we are kind of young, but I, I appreciate the kind words, man. And, and goes without saying how much we love what you've done at Harper mm -hmm. Cap too. And it's just a pleasure to be here. But I mean, it, it comes like the reason I think Delphi is successful is mm -hmm. because we're, it's not forced. Mm -hmm. Like we love building in the space. Like yeah. we're not up at two, three, four a.m. Um, building this because you know we have a boss telling us to, mm -hmm. or like a parent we want to impress, or something. Maybe some do. I don't know. Mm. But we're doing this because we love what we do, right? Mm -hmm. We love Delphi attracting talent. We love seeing that talent execute. You know, I love investing in early stage founders and mm -hmm. watching them grow and develop and just crush it. I mean, being able to find the next investment for me and yeah. see that next team grow or help a current investment or project deliver, that is just an amazing feeling that is hard to recreate. Mm -hmm. And that's what keeps me personally going. And I think that's what keeps a lot of people within Delphi going. Mm -hmm. You know, the idea that we could, you know, fund and help build some of the biggest future projects in the space mm -hmm. in an open community where everyone can take part is just super exciting. And there's no shortage of it. So I don't think we're slowing down anytime soon, um, but it's just exciting to be able to be in the space and we're, we're loving it. When Delphi token. <laughs> <laughs> we'll save that one for the legal podcast. There we go. There we go. Well, man. I don't want to get yelled at after this. <laughs> we'll cut it out. But my man, it, it's been such a pleasure. I'm, I'm so happy that you moved to Miami. 
we can finally bro out. It's Miami is the long. best. It is it's the best. The energy here and your texts are one of the key reasons <laughs> I got down here. So thank you for shilling me. But it's great to be so close, man. Yeah. I'm excited that we could do stuff together and invest alongside each other. And, uh, you know, the community that you've built here personally within Hartman, I mean, walked in and see the, the fire in these guys' eyes uh, is just incredible to see. Hell yeah. Well, I look forward to many more years of building and great memories and just like, you know, make a difference here. So let's do it, man. Hell yeah. Thank you so much for coming. Appreciate it.